Welcome back to True Crime Shrine, a podcast where three friends chat true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit they could fit into this podcast. Sometimes the planets align. Did I say that? I don't remember. No. These are your hosts, Hannah. And Meredith. Welcome to episode 74. We are still Sarahless. Uh, this might be the last the last Sarahless one for a while, but she should be back next week. I do have a little bit of housekeeping. Okay. So housekeeping. Housekeeping. You called it something else a couple weeks ago, but I can't yes, remember. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a little bit of that and it is super exciting. So okay. Is it Austrian listener? Hannah wrote it, and they listened. Woo! Welcome, Austria. Write it, and they will come. Yeah. Welcome. However. Oh. They only listened to episode two, or the second part. Well, I mean, they knew the story, I guess. <laughs> and then I go to the first one, and it, and I was like, oh, they didn't listen to part one. <laughs> okay. But... Regardless, welcome, Austria. We are so excited to have you listening. There is a part one, if you want, which also has a lot of fun information in it. It does. It does. But yeah, so, and I, yeah, that's it. Pretty much it for (laughs) housekeeping. It's been another crazy-ass week. But yeah. So what do you have for us? Or me? And the listeners, I guess. And the listeners. I have... A historical one again. Yay! I have Holly Harvey Crippen. Ooh, hold on. I gotta write that down. Holly Harvey Crippen. Crippen. All terrible names. Holly yeah. is H A W L E Y. Oh, okay. So, all bad. I'm gonna call him Crippen. I guess I could call him Doctor. He does kind of become a doctor. And so, this is another one based on a book but i read this book a while ago and so this basically this entire thing is sourced from the book thunderstruck by eric larson who has written the devil in the white city which was about Mm h.h holmes slash chicago world fair and lusitania which is my favorite one he's written this one is about dr crippen slash the guy that marconi the guy that like created the wireless so you could do communications across the ocean it's honestly not my favorite one of his but I didn't really care about the wireless side of it all, but like this was this was a fun story. Okay. So I guess we should just start. Yeah. Okay. Well, Holly <laughs> Crippen was born September 11, 1862. So Virgo, which is another reason why I picked him. I've been trying to match up lately. Yep. I probably won't keep doing that, but you know, whatever. Eric Larson did not have nice things to say about his uh, appearance, so I'm just going to quote, Crippen was lonely, and genetic fate had conspired to keep him that way. He was not handsome, and his short stature and small bones conveyed neither strength nor virility. <laughs> so, okay. he's just a little kind of mole-faced man. Smart, though. He's a Virgo. 
good at school. So he did enroll into the University of Michigan School of Homeopathy in 1882, back when that was still a thing that people did. And just to say, homeopathy is basically <laughs> what? Oh, no, I was just, I'm looking at his picture and he does look like a Doesn't mole. he look, look like a little mole with a mustache? Yeah. I'd call him adorable, but not handsome. <laughs> oh, he's just odd looking. Yeah, he's odd. He's an odd looking chap. So anyway, homeopathy is a school of medicine that believes that the doctor could cure a patient by treating them with medicines and other herbal remedies or whatnot that conjure the same symptoms as what the disease is conjuring. So like cures like is basically what it is. We don't do this anymore, but it's fine. Now we do allopathic medicine is what the main medicine is that's in the hospital. But there's a holistic side to that, right? Um, Because they're using herbs and stuff. Allopathic is more... Uh, using like the opposite thing to cure what's happening versus homeopathy is like like cures like so if you have a fever i'm going to give you something that gives you more of a fever oh (laughs) and and then it will end soon or something i don't really know that much about it but it is whatever what it does for you is does teach you a lot about different herbal remedies including different kinds of poisons so when you when dr crippen graduated from this university he had a nice working knowledge of aconite atropine and the rheus toxin from poison ivy so hmm and so basically large doses could prove fatal but you could pepper them in in very small doses then it's kind of like you could mimic the symptoms like you would want to if you thought like cured like basically so you'd only use okay. a teeny little bit but you would still put some in there say here so he didn't actually graduate <laughs> He just decided to go to London for a little bit. Priorities. Well, he probably should have stayed. The London folks weren't very fond of him. They thought he was a weird little American man. Uh, So he did go back to the United States. And then he enrolled in medical school at the Cleveland Homeopathic Hospital. Okay. He studied surgery. uh, But later he said that his training was purely theoretical. That never (laughs) once... Did he ever operate on a patient, alive or dead? I don't know what USA's degree is, but he got it. Okay. Uh, He did graduate from this one, so he is a doctor. In 1980, let's see, six probably, when doctoring was still real weird and wild. Pause real quick. Uh You said 1986. Shit, I'm at 1886. I was gonna say, he is damn fine looking for his age then. No, he's not going to make it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so he graduated in 1886, which is still pretty a bonkers wild time. Mm-hmm. And all doctors were just making up as they went along. Like, it was all a disaster. But whatever. He did go to school. My father-in-law is like, one of his favorite jokes to tell is like, you know, it's called a practicing medicine because <laughs> they're practicing. <laughs> Actually, if you are interested in the history of medicine, there's a very good book called The Great Influenza by some John Barry, I think. Okay. And part of it is about the influenza epidemic of uh, 1918, but the mm-hmm. first, like, it has a couple introductory chapters about, like, what was medicine like in <laughs> 1918? Scary. Uh, yeah. I did see, like, there was some sort of, like, cough syrup. It was, like, the bottle, like, an antique bottle of cough syrup. And there was, I think, arsenic in it or something something like that. I'm actually reading The Poisoner's Handbook right now by Deborah Bloom. And so she's writing 
it's about the same time, I guess, as the Great Influenza was, like, during that time period. And it's about, like, the, starting the medical examiner's office in New York City and the chemist and the ME that worked super hard to try to figure out how to ID poisons and whatnot. Okay. It's very good. Seems very, like, a fast read. Okay. And I talked, it talked about mustard gas, and I said, nailed it. And it talked about cyanide, and I said, nailed it. So, you know, I know what Sweet. I'm talking about, folks. I just did find this other cough syrup <laughs> that... <laughs> It has alcohol, cannabis, chloroform, morphine, and cocaine. That'll do it, friends. If you need to sleep, that'll do it. (laughs) Oh, man. So, he did graduate. He opened a practice in Detroit. Two years later, he moved to New York to study ocular medicine at the New York Ophthalmic Hospital. Why not? He doesn't know how to do surgery, obviously, so... (laughs) <laughs> and he also graduated from that hospital in 1887. Okay. So he's in his mid-20s now. He started his internship at the Hanneman Hospital in New York, where he met Charlotte Jane Bell, a student nurse. Not so Virgo. He does move fast in relationships. So he graduated 1887 sometime. He started his okay. internship after that, met Charlotte. They married Christmas 1887. Oh, damn. Okay. Then they left New York, went to San Diego. Crippen opened an office there. Charlotte was pregnant. And so on August 19th, 1889, she gave birth to a son named Otto. Then they moved again to Salt Lake City. Charlotte was pregnant again. And then right in January 1892, shortly before the second baby's due date, Charlotte died suddenly from apoplexy, which I think is like a stroke. She's very young. So with her unborn child, then. Unborn child. So the child didn't born. Otto's a toddler. Yeah. Crippen sent him back to California to live with his grandparents, and Crippen went back to New York, so why not? Okay. Well, I mean, I guess we all grieve differently, but... Oh, we're going to grieve differently, folks. All right, so... And by this point, he's back in New York. He's working um, in a practice with another physician. He's 30. He's a widower. And he meets Cora Turner, who was a patient of the physician who owned the practice, a Dr. Jeffrey. And Cora had come in for a female problem. Oh, no. So who knows exactly what that was. Regardless, Crippen fell in love immediately. He did just go for it. He just started courting her. Took her on walk. She's almost half his age. But he, and he looked like a mole, but he still had enough confidence to just go out there and do it. So I guess there's something to say about that. Okay. You know, lunch, dinner, walks. That time she lived alone in an apartment that was paid for by a man named C.C. Lincoln, who was married and lived somewhere else. But he did Ooh. pay for her rent, food, clothing, and voice lessons and got benefits in return. Okay. I feel like Cora's like always had men in her life, so she's known how to play them. This poor mole-like man is a man that a beautiful woman could play with. And so she also told him that this Mr. Lincoln had just asked her to run away with him. And that freaked Crippen out. So a few days later, September 1st, 1892, they were married in New Jersey. So that would be, that's a couple years after his other wife dies. All right. So after the wedding, Crippen gets to know his bride a little bit more. Number one, her name is not Cora. Her name is Kunagund (laughs) Makamotsky. So there's that. Uh, 
Okay. She sounded spoiled. She was 17, spoiled. She wanted to be an opera singer, but she didn't have the chops. Okay. But she wanted to live that kind of life. Crippen's in, though. Whatever. (laughs) During that beginning of their marriage, her quote-unquote female complaint worsened. And so she actually went under an operation, an ovarectomy, to remove an ovary, which left her with a very distinctive scar on her abdomen. Okay. Which will come up later. Oh, scars and tattoos Uh and other identifying factors. Maybe they remove both ovaries because Cora could never have children, apparently. And so a close friend would say, quote, There was only one little shadow in their lives of which I was aware. They were both passionately fond of children and she was childless. I don't know where the fuck Otto is just living his life in California, but whatever. Okay. (laughs) All right. Anyway. Very paternal there, Mr. Crippen, or Dr. Crippen. Dr. Crippen, that that guy. Cora recovered from her surgery, I guess to distract herself from not being able to have children slash having a major surgery. She just threw herself into singing lessons, then Crippen paid for them for her. Okay, because I'm guessing by this time, Mr. C.C. Lincoln had declined to offer her any more. Oh, he should turn his nose up. He was already married. Yeah. <laughs> So they were okay, kind of happy. Crippen was making enough money to provide for all these, like, superfluous things his young wife wants. But the panic of 93 struck, and that meant a lot less people had money to go see an eye doctor. Yeah. His income was impacted by that. They had to stop the singing lessons. They eventually actually moved back in with Cora's stepfather, which Cora fucking hated. I bet. And so Cora was on his ass. Oh my God, get a job, get another job. Like we got to get out of here. A reporter would describe Cora as, quote, robust and animal. Her vitality was of that loud, aggressive, and physical kind that seems to exhaust the atmosphere around it and is undoubtedly exhausting to live with. She's an extrovert, let me tell you. <laughs> Do we know when she was born? That was what I was looking up when you like came into the call. I was trying to find out and I I couldn't find it. I'll see if I can Google it while we're while you're telling me more about her. I would like to know her side. I think that'd be interesting. So the marriage had some tension in it. Dr. Crippen's still very soft spoken. He would just say at most that she had a hasty temper, but that's okay. about all that he would say. He was able to get a job in the patent medicine industry, which was actually blowing up during the panic of 93. Okay. So he got a job at the Munyon Home Remedy Company, and it was founded by Professor J.M. Munyon, and its most famous product was Munyon's Pile Ointment. What do you think that's for? Penises. Close, just move back. Hemorrhoids. Okay. (laughs) Piles are hemorrhoids, apparently. Piles, Okay. We recommend it for fissures, ulcerations, cracks, and such anal troubles. Oh, man. Okay, so back in the days, Preparation H. Yeah, it probably had fucking cocaine in it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you gotta suture up them fissures. You know, when when you have a fucking ulceration in your anus, you can have a little cocaine. Yeah, you can. (laughs) We're not gonna, we're not gonna judge you. So he was able to get a job at Munions in 1894 in their New York office and also was given uh, some rooms to live upstairs. So they were able to move out of the stepfather's house at least. That's good, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it had to help a little bit. It wouldn't save the marriage, but it helped a little bit. Um, He was very good at his job, as a Virgo might be. So let me just stay, tell you what Dr. Munyon thought. He called Crippen, one of the most intelligent men I ever knew. So proficient, I gave him a position readily, nor have I ever regretted it. Very Virgo. Yeah. 
He did not like Cora, but that's fine. Well, it sounds like not many people liked her. That's why I'm like, she's got to be a Leo. Just like that bold. <laughs> she's loud and like she wants to be on the stage mm-hmm. and she's a performer. And like no one could ever really figure out what the fuck was happening with this couple because Crippen was soft-spoken, very gentle, like whatever. And Cora was loud and exuberant and extroverted and kind of mean to him and all of those things. So Crippen's career was back on track, doing okay, but they did move to Philadelphia at some point. And even though Crippen was able to provide for her now, buy her the, give her her music lessons and whatnot, Cora got bored in Philadelphia. At this point, they had been married for almost 10 years. Oh, okay. And she was like, you know what? I wanted to be an opera diva. I want to do that again. I'm moving to New York to get my lessons. Okay. Crippen said, okay. And, you know, got her an apartment and paid for all her expenses. Wow. Didn't love the idea that, like, she was living on her own in New York with a ton of other men around that she was probably most definitely hanging out with. Yeah. So, in 1897, Crippen was offered to take over the London office. And so Crippen thought Cora would love this idea. Like, moving to London, that sounds super fucking excited. She didn't. Uh, (laughs) She complained that she would not give up her lessons and he'd have to go by himself and she would find him later. When later? Whenever. Didn't really give her much much of a timeline there. And so he did move to London. So they were more separated, an ocean between them, whatnot. He was still, you know, supporting her life in New York, on all of her music lessons. There's a limit to how much lessons can do. And so it became apparent that Cora was not going to be an opera singer. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to transition into uh, vaudeville, uh, which apparently kind of embarrassed Crippen. It's like, I don't know, dance hall girls or whatever back in the day. Okay. But the same idea, something called Variety, was happening in London, but it was more respectable, I guess, than what vaudeville was in America. So he told her to come to London to do Variety and okay. not be like a... Don't be a hussy. Yeah. And she did. Cora was a Virgo as well. She was born on September 1st of 1872. Damn. Ah, uh, Virgo and Virgo. We'll look that up. Okay. So Cora did move to London, but she had been on her own for a while. She kind of kept that feeling. So Crippen noticed the difference and would say, I may say that when she came to England from America, her manner towards me was completely changed and she had cultivated a most ungovernable temper and seemed (laughs) to think I was not good enough for her and boasted of men of good position traveling on the boat who had made a fuss of her. And indeed, some of them visited her at our house, but I did not know their names. (laughs) Okay. He's kind of a cuck. Yeah. All right. Cord wrote a play that she wanted to produce. Crippen provided the money to produce it. <laughs> okay. It didn't go great. A music hall actor read the script and said, a little plot might improve manners, is what she told her. But um, I don't think she added the plot. The show did open because, I mean, it was paid for by Crippen. Yeah. It involved romance and extortion. And at one point, Cora had to hurl a fistful of dollars at her antagonist. And she insisted (laughs) the cast be real. So every time that happened, all the audience would scramble up 
to like take all the money. And so they were just losing money because she was just throwing on the stage and the audience were just fucking taking advantage of that. They're like, hey, this show really fucking sucks, but like you can get some money in this one scene. Yeah, so might as well. Uh, yeah, only the show only lasted a week was completely panned by every single person. Understandably. She's not necessarily talented. She just thought she was. Yeah. All right. There's a little interlude where Crippen moved back to America for a little bit, left Cora in London this time. But he moved back to London in June 1900, working for a different patent medicine company. While he was gone, Cora started singing at smoking centers for payment, which she (laughs) didn't love. There was a lot of tension when he came back, and so, as Crippen would describe it, she apparently did not want to be familiar with me. So I asked her what the matter oh, was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, while Crippen had been in America, Cora had started taking up with this man named Bruce Miller, <laughs> who would come and visit them at the house, and they were very fond of each other. He's kind of the opposite of Crippen, like, big guy, yeah. used to be a prize fighter, and, like, all that kind of stuff. He also had a wife, but back in America, who cares? So he would come and visit two to three times a week while Crippen was gone. The neighbors noticed. By the time he returned, Miller was in Paris, but he would write Belle letters enough that uh, Crippen knew. Awkward. Okay. And um, Belle also just would tell her about it. Like, she just kind of rubbed it in. She would always keep at least one picture of him in their house just to be like, this guy, I've also fucked. They're like, all her conquests are like in frames, like on the mantle. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, there's not a single fucking picture of like Harley, but like. (laughs) Just to clarify for listeners. So because Cora had so many names, so it was. Corrine, Henrietta, Bella, Elmore, Makamowski, Turner, Crippen. I didn't know the Turner part, but yeah. Kunigund, Corrine, Henrietta, Bell, Elmore, Makamowski, yes. Turner, Crippen. Yes, and we will get to uh, <laughs> Bell Elmore. Yeah, okay. All right, well... He really was a cuck. Like, he would just kept giving her money. Whatever she wanted, she got. He once gave her the equivalent of $4,000 today so she could buy an ermine cape. So, you know, he was just giving her money, I guess, trying to buy her love back. Maybe. I don't know if he ever had it, but like, that's all he knew how to do, I guess, maybe. Is- it sounded like, you know, he did love her regardless of her temperament or whatever else was going on. And maybe he didn't feel like he could do any better based on his physical attributes. And so he just tried to fix what he thought they had had. Because, I mean, they were married for a They've been married for a long time. It doesn't sound like it was a good marriage ever, but like. Yeah. And I'll say one of uh, Virgo's like love languages is normally acts of service. And so this Mm -hmm. is kind of this idea of providing for her, giving her everything she wants, supporting her and her social life Mm -hmm. and whatnot. She kept trying to kind of be a variety star, but she also formed, she met with some other women who were like variety stars and whatever, Mm -hmm. like artist and they formed the music hall ladies guild and so this was more of a social thing but she made a lot of friends there it worked a lot better for her than being an actress ever did okay (laughs) i guess i did forget i think i skipped over this by this point she was calling herself Belle elmore that was her stage name okay but it's also just the name that she would go by why not (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
Yeah, and so, like, this was a way for, like, Belle to be part of, like, the artist community and whatnot, and people liked her. She made a lot of good friends and whatnot. It's a nice social scene. Okay. And every once in a while, she would bring Crippen out with her to one of these uh, events, and everyone would be like, him? Ew. (laughs) And so, uh, he met this man named Seymour Hicks, and Seymour Hicks would describe Crippen as such. It's a long quote, but it made me laugh. <laughs> the most noticeable thing about him was his eyes. They bulged considerably and appeared to be closely related to some kind of ophthalmic goiter. Added to this, as they were weak and watery, he was obliged to wear spectacles with lenses of more than ordinary thickness, which so magnified his pupils that in looking at him, I was by no means sure that I was talking to a bream or a mullet or some other open-eyed and equally intelligent deep-sea fish. <laughs> That's so oh, harsh in so many words. Seymour, Jesus fucking Christ. He also went on to be like, I know his home life was bad, but oh. whatever. <laughs> so in 1901, 17, Ethel Clara Leneve became an employee at the Druitt Institute for the Deaf, which is where Crippen was now working as well. Okay. This company basically was like, said they have a cure for deafness. I don't know how you could keep that going because it very obviously did not cure the deafness. Yeah. It lasted for a while. I guess they probably got some money because they would have them pay a little up front and then pay the rest later. And so I guess they just got the upfront money. I don't think they gave that back. But just like, <sighs> I don't think they ever got the second payment either though because the person's like still deaf. So it's like an early pyramid scheme kind of. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So Ethel started working there as a secretary. She was, you know, sweet girl. She kind of was feeling kind of lonely. Mm-hmm. She was alone. Her sister just got married and whatnot. And Dr. Griffin was very nice to her and whatnot. So she she liked that. Then one day, very late into this, because I don't think Belle came very often to the death place. Yeah. One day Belle did come in. This very large, energetic, she dyed her hair blonde, which was a big thing at the time. Mm-hmm. She's flamboyant and whatnot. And so Ethel was like, this is a lot of a woman. And then later <laughs> she found out, that's Dr. Crippen's wife? The fuck? We'll post pictures too for our listeners of one or all of Cora's personalities, but her getup for her Belle personality is uh-huh. very over the top. So... Ethel met Belle. She also saw Belle interact with Dr. Crippen. It was not a great interaction. Belle basically just screamed at him and then <laughs> left. Dr. Crippen was so depressed he almost took poison. But oh. Ethel was like, no, <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. And so she like revived him and whatever. And that this whole situation, like with the big fight, with the taking poison, with the revival, it really brought... Ethel and Dr. Crippen a lot closer together. Okay. So, Cora, sorry, let's call her Belle. Belle had also noticed Ethel, and so she did stop by a little bit more often to the (laughs) office, just kind (laughs) of see what's happening. (laughs) She was this young girl, she was beautiful, and I think that her and Dr. Crippen just got on super well, and like, they were friendly, which is not something that Belle and Crippen had had in a long time. Sure. And so, Belle told a friend, quote, I don't like the girl typist Peter has in his office. And Peter is just the name that Belle started calling Dr. Crippen for some reason. Well, she changes her name all the time. (laughs) She does too. There's no idea where Peter comes from. Belle called him that. 
Maybe it's Bethel some did it. pet name or something. I don't know. I don't think they have pet names, but uh, her friend asked, like, why don't you just ask him to get rid of her? And Belle replied that she'd already asked. Griffin had told her that Ethel was indispensable to this company. A good typist is a good typist, man. A good typist is a good typist, and a, a good typist where you could have a whole Sunday together. A typist with benefits. A typist with benefits that made you happy. And was nice to you. <laughs> I mean, now, this is what Dr. Crippen would say about a particular Sunday in 1904 when, quote, we had a whole day together, which meant so much to us then. A rainy day indeed, but how happy we were together with all sunshine in our hearts. Aww. He recalled it as a time when they were in perfect harmony with each other, even without being wedded. The wedded oh. part's the problem, though. I love how they just, like, skirt around the word sex. Oh, yeah, they definitely do. <laughs> so, like, Crippen had fallen very hard for Ethel, and Ethel had fallen hard for Crippen as well. And in Ethel's words, she would say that Crippen was the only person in the world to whom I could go for help or comfort. There was a real love between us. Yeah. And around this point, uh, Ethel also somehow came across some of those letters that Bruce Miller had written to Belle back in the day. And then seeing that... That, like, Belle was, like, kind of a bitch. She stopped yeah. feeling very bad about, like, hanging out with Dr. Crippen after that. Right? I mean, eh. like, fuck you. I was whatever. like, yeah, whatever. Well, in the meantime, Dr. Crippen was providing Belle with money to decorate the house, which she decorated entirely in pink a lot for <laughs> okay. the time. And she also thought green was unlucky, which I thought was kind of funny. But I feel like green paint did have arsenic in it or something at the time, so there might have been a point. Arsenic was in a lot of shit back in the I day. I know. I just imagine this poor mole-faced man in this pink house. And just like, Everything's fucking pink. And there's doilies everywhere. Pink. Oh, God. There's doilies everywhere. She also hated to clean, so she didn't clean. So it was like this dirty pink house. <laughs> Gross. And she also didn't like fresh air or open windows, so it's kind of a musty, dirty house. <laughs> oh, that makes it even worse. Oh my god, that's so gross. Uh, and she wouldn't spend money on a maid, although she would spend money on like clothes and whatnot, but like sure. not a maid's too much. And so she basically just kind of closed off all of, like the upper floors and didn't let anyone up there, so that she only really focused on the first floor and the kitchen and whatnot. Still fucking filthy as shit, but, like, at least it's, like, half the house you can't ignore. Okay. It's bizarre, though. It's just, I don't know. It's weird. And the neighbors, you know, thought they were a fine couple. They didn't really see any arguments or, you know, anything like that. Probably because they were never home at the same fucking time. Yeah. I feel like in public, too, they normally put on, like, a good face. Okay. It just sounded like, I don't know, she was just constantly yelling at him, so I don't know. Probably inside the house, but I think if neighbors saw them outside the house, they probably looked fine. Okay. Probably because she didn't want people to think less of her or like, I don't know. I mean, it's part of keeping up appearances, I guess. Yeah. I guess, but I don't know why it matters if you're going to fuck around with other people. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> she did have a love of cats, so I'll give her like a bonus point there. Okay, fine. One point. <laughs> she did like to be in charge and in control, and so she would never let the cats go outside for, quote, fear they should fall victims to the shafts of illicit love. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, I had Crippen build a cage for them out in the garden. <laughs> He made him a catio. 
that's very sweet. I know, it's very sweet. Acadio, like, I love it. Her need for control also extended to Kirpin as well, so she picked out all of his clothes, and people would describe him as wearing rather feminine choices, but his <laughs> wife chose them all, so there's that. <laughs> I'm kind of understanding, like, where this case is going. Oh, yeah. I know it's not good to, like, yeah. you know, victim blame, but Jesus Christ. Ugh. So Ethel got a room in a house in September 1908. Uh, it was owned by an Emily and Robert Jackson, and Mrs. Jackson and Ethel became friends, like, immediately. They were, like, uh, Ethel would call Mrs. Jackson her mom and everything. It was very, okay. very cute. Ethel was four months pregnant at the time. Oh. Oops. And she had a quote-unquote miscarriage. Okay. Uh, something happened. Ethel would not tell her or the doctor, like, who the father was or anything like that. Uh, Dr. Crippen did come by to see Ethel. He only stayed a couple minutes. He was there as, like, her employer, basically. But Mrs. Jackson thought he was the nicest man he'd she'd ever met. Okay. So he's kind of like, I can still go check on her as her employer so he can like i don't know it's kind of like not suspicious yes and okay. he, he didn't stay very long he just kind of came to check up on her he also started renting his own set of rooms that he was hardly ever at but sometimes he was there with a woman oh mr jackson was a little more wary of ethel after this quote-unquote miscarriage because she was unmarried she was pregnant it was the whole thing sure all right well this whole like curing deafness thing didn't work out very well so he needed another <laughs> job and he switched from eyes to teeth and opened a dental practice. Okay. Because <laughs> why not? And this dental practice actually happened to be in the same building where the Ladies Guild headquarters were. So like Belle and her friends would also be there a lot. Okay. In a not unsurprising twist, the miscarriage had made this relationship a lot more serious to Ethel. Mm -hmm. Because before it was more of an affair or whatever. And now, you know, real consequences had happened. And yeah. She lost a child. She went with him to the dental practice, but now she was working. Belle was around a lot. And so, like, she was starting to get a bit depressed by it all. Sure. Understandably. Crippen was in love with her, though. And he did tell her that one day he would make her, Ethel, his legal wife. Okay. And she was the woman he should have been with his whole time. He was really actually hoping that Belle would leave because she kept threatening it. But never following through with it. It does remind me a little bit of my marriage. <laughs> also threatened to move out. And as soon as he moved out, I was like, God, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> this is not having the effect you think it's going to have, sir. <laughs> Bye, never come back. So yeah, she was still threatening. Bruce Miller's photo was still everywhere. But by this point, Griffin was like, just fucking go. Yeah. If she deserted him, it wouldn't look so bad. He could take up with Ethel, whatever. Sure. I guess we still couldn't get a divorce, but I don't know what the time was like. It was a justification, though, right? He's like, oh, my wife, I mean, she left me, so. I know, that bitch. Like, clearly, <laughs> I need, you know, a woman's touch in this pink, ugly, dirty shack of mine. I know, goddamn. Well, what Crippen didn't know, actually, was that Belle was getting more serious about her threats to leave. Okay. And so the couple had a savings account that, by this point, contained $60,000 in today's money. Okay. And so either one of them could withdraw money from this account without having the presence of the other one there. And so on December 15th, 1909, the bank received notice that Belle wanted to withdraw the entire amount. So she might have been ready to, like, step out as well. 
Okay. Then in January 1910, Belle had a period of like ill health. It was a lot. She said she woke up in the night stifling and I wanted to send Peter for the priest, which was a little weird to her friends because Belle was almost never sick, but whatever. And then on January 15th, 1910, Crippen went to the chemist's shop and bought some of the compounds he would need for his medicines. And he was, you know, homeopathic doctor, mm-hmm. dentist, a patent medicine maker. So he's bought a lot of stuff, hydrochloric acid, morphine, cocaine, like no one turned an eye at that. That's totally fine. You're a doctor. Yeah. Today he wanted something different. He wanted five grains of hyoscine hydrobromide. Ooh. Which uh, still didn't really surprise the clerk. He's a doctor. Mm-hmm. They knew him really well by this point. He was a good customer. Yeah. And so hyoscine was sometimes used in drugs, meant to have a tranquilizing effect on patients. So he assumed maybe it was a dental aesthetic that he was trying to make or something. Okay. Hyoscine was, however, a very dangerous poison, and they did not have it on stock because it was barely ever used. Okay. But he told Crippen he would have to order it. And so he did eventually, and Crippen came back. He did get his five grains. The proprietor of the shop thought that might have been a lot because normally it was passed out like at one grain max at a time. And one time a drug firm, like a factory, purchased three whole grains and this man wanted five, but they gave it to him. Okay. And apparently they have this thing called the poisons book that you have to (laughs) sign if you're buying scheduled poisons, but they didn't make him sign because they knew him, whatever. All right. At the same time, Ethel was exceedingly depressed and uh, her landlady noticed and finally was like what's happening like what's going on talk to me she's like are you pregnant again ethel was not but she was super depressed about dr crippen and so ethel decided to tell mrs jackson why she was super depressed she was super depressed about Belle elmore dr crippen's wife who Miss Jackson did not know about. And she was just like, hell, he has a wife? Like, (laughs) okay, whatever. She said, quote, what's the use of worrying about another woman's husband? She was also married, so I guess she was just like, can you just leave husbands alone? And then Ethel told her that Crippen's wife had threatened to leave him and that he was hoping to divorce her, to which Mrs. Jackson said back, don't you think he's asking rather a lot of you? At your age, it seems to me most unfair. Tell him what you've told me as regards feeling your position. Mm -hmm. It is asking a lot, sir. Yeah. Well, and she's just trying to tell her to like stand up for yourself. Yeah. Tell him what you want. Tell him what, you know, your expectations are. You know, just be honest. Well, she did. So good for Ethel. And Crippen assured her that he had every intention of marrying her. So Ethel cheered up and was glad to have stood on her own two feet. All right. So on January 23rd, 1910, Dr. Crippen and Belle Elmore had a like a couple friend of theirs over uh, to their house for like dinner and cards or whatever. The friend's husband was pretty sick at the time, but like Crippen was like, just come, you'll have a great time. I'm a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, very insistent upon it. He did come. I don't I don't like to go places when I'm sick, but he did. They didn't have a great time because, you know, Pablo's very sick. But like yeah. they did play some cards together. Crippen kept trying to give him whiskey to make him feel better. That was also a common cost. Yes. <laughs> they were playing cards and Paul it's like eleven PM at night. Paul's like getting a chill and she's like, I have to go. Please let me leave. I wanna go home. <laughs> I need to go. And so they did. 
Dr. Kirkman's like, yeah, I'll get you a taxi. Paul took himself to the bathroom. He'd been at their house before. He knew where it was, whatever. The taxi came. The couple went home. It was fine. Dr. Crippen would say was that immediately after that couple had left, Belle immediately started screaming at him because he had not shown Paul to the bathroom. That was why she was mad. Okay. She once again said a lot of things, right in to leave him again. And But she also said, according to Crippen, that if Belle did leave, Crippen was to arrange to cover up any scandal with our mutual friends and the guild the best way I could. So, okay, I'm going to um, talk. So, you know, Belle's mad. She's going to leave without saying goodbye to her friends, like all that kind of bullshit. Save my reputation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, actually, hold on. This was January 31st. Uh-huh. I said 21st, I think. Anyway, I will say January 31st uh, was the last time Belle was ever seen alive. Okay. Crippen got up early on the next morning, went to the office. He never saw Belle in the morning anyway. She's normally asleep. He got back to his house at 7.30 p.m. at night. The house was empty, but Belle was gone. And so what he said is the thing that he was most concerned about was how to avoid a scandal at this point. Because that's what she told him to be afraid of. I don't think she told him that at all. But like oh, that's, what she, okay. that's what he said that she oh, okay. told him to do. All right, I'm picking up what you're throwing down. Belle would have said goodbye to all of her friends. Belle would have made a spectacle of it. Oh, yeah. I'm leaving. Yeah. Watch me go. Exactly. And then on the next day, Ethel came to work. There's a little note on her desk from Dr. Crippen saying, B.E. has gone to America. And Ethel was very pleased, very excited, very happy about all of this. Like, oh, okay. It makes sense. She was always threatening to leave him, whatever. She had Mm -hmm. other men that she threatened to leave him for. It wasn't like that ridiculous. She was pretty happy. She's like, (laughs) woohoo! Yeah. Oh, my man. Even happier when Dr. Crippen pulled out a handful of jewelry from his pocket that he said Belle had left behind. That's us. Uh Uh-huh. It was like, these are good. And I should like to know you had some good jewelry. And so she got a bunch of jewelry, some very distinctive pieces we'll put out there as well. Okay. And so let's say that is February 2nd. That night, Ethel slept in Crippen's bed in his house for the first time ever. Because they always had to go meet at that other place or whatever. So within two days, two and a half days? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So she was pleased. The ladies of the guild were a little confused. And mm-hmm. so what Dr. Kerman had done was basically forge a letter from Belle being like, oh, I have to go, <laughs> basically. <laughs> basically, she was just like, there's, you know, this illness of a relative of mine in America. I have to go, like, right now. It's an emergency, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to say goodbye is basically what the letter was about. Like, I'm on the next boat out. Uh-huh, Exactly. So what Ethel would notice is that there was a lot of Belle stuff left at the house, clothing, jewelry, etc. Okay. As Ethel saw it, basically like how badly the marriage had fallen apart, that Belle was just like, fuck it, I'm going to leave. Basically leaving all of her stuff behind. Yeah, like I don't want any of this. I don't want anything that's like even remotely associated with this life. Which is something I would say, but Belle would take all the shit, man. Yeah. expensive stuff. Yeah. Belle would have taken it all. But Ethel was all not even like, man, they had a real bad marriage. And now I get some jewelry. Oh, Ethel. Oh, Ethel. 
All right. About a week later, Crippen would say that he had received a telegram from Belle in America, and she was very ill. She had a pulmonary ailment. Nothing to worry about, but just letting him know. And so he told, you know, the guild, he told the couple friends that had come to visit immediately that all of this stuff, like, oh, she now she's sick. Okay. Mm-hmm. On February 20th, Ethel and Dr. Crippen did their first public outing. And so <laughs> they went to this like fancy ball, basically, which was probably a bad idea because yeah, in everyone else's <laughs> mind, Belle was like, had left just because of a, a sick relative and was now sick herself. It wasn't like she had left him because she was a bitch or something. Like, it was not a good look. Yeah, they're like, ah, uh, so when the cat's away and the mice will play, what the fuck's going on? Although the, the mice was playing all the time, but... Yeah. Ethel also wore a very distinctive brooch that was one of Belle's favorites. And so a lot of the guild ladies were at this ball as well, because it was like a fundraiser for some sort of musical thing. Okay. And so I'm just like, hmm. No, I have one of these too. Yeah, very uh, Yeah. Why is this young little person wearing this? Yeah, essentially she's just... In- in the house wearing her stuff. All of her stuff. While she's tending to a sick relative. I mean, it looks bad. It looks bad enough. That was the weekend. So the Monday, one of the guild ladies was like, okay, when we talked about Dr. Crippen, was like, what's Belle's address? Let me write to her. Mm-hmm. And Crippen said, oh, she is away up in the mountains in the wilds of California. But he had no uh, address for her, although he did offer to forward anything that she wanted to send. Very thoughtful. Very thoughtful. She was in the Emerald Triangle. <laughs> Getting fucked by Bigfoot. <laughs> All right. So, sus. More sus. February continued. But like I said before, that dentistry office was in the same building as the ladies' guild. And so Ethel could tell that the women from the guild were kind of eyeballing and feeling. So she was starting to feel a little weird about everything as well. Oh, yeah. And then on March 20th, Crippen got a telegraph, quote unquote telegraph, saying that Belle was now dangerously ill with pleural pneumonia. And, you know, very, very, very ill. Crippen would tell that couple friend all about it and would even be like, would say that he was considering going over to America himself because she was so ill. He was very worried, whatever. And then the next day, another telegram came that just said, Belle died yesterday at six o'clock. Wow. In the meantime, the, the ladies' guild had been suspicious, so they had asked for an address. They had asked for, like, what ship did she take to America? And, mm-hmm. you know, Crippen had some sort of half-assed, I don't know, some French, whatever. And so Dr. Crippen would tell these ladies that Belle died at his son's home. Remember Otto? Oh, how old's Otto now? 20-something? 21, maybe? 21. Okay, he's 21. Drinking age. Prohibition in effect yet? I don't remember. Not yet. Anyway, so he told the ladies' guild that Bella died at Otto's house. Not like Bella had ever met Otto before in her entire life, but whatever. Otto who? Uh, Yeah. And he also gave them Otto's address. And so they wrote Otto. And then about a month later, they received a letter back saying, quote, The death of my stepmother was as great a surprise to me as to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm just like i don't know what the fuck you guys are talking uh, about i know she's like she died at san francisco and the first i heard of it was through my father 
And he also said that his father told him that he had given Otto's address out as a mistake. He kind of fucked up, so this letter was coming. Oh. And then Otto was like, I would be very glad if you find out any particulars as of her death, if you would let them know of them. Because Otto's like, I don't know what the fuck is happening. All right. So anyway, Ethel was living in the house with Crippen. They were uh, just having a very lovely time together, kissing each other, holding each other, playing house, blah, 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 blah. Uh, They couldn't be married yet. They had to wait till Belle's death certificate. But um, Ethel assumed that that would come soon and she could marry this very nice man. Okay. And she said, quote, So time slipped along, both of us extremely happy and contented, working each of us hard in different ways. Playing house, basically, on their honeymoon. Working us hard. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> the guild ladies did a bunch of research. They found, like, whatever half-assed name that Crippen had given them about the ship. Like, it didn't exist, and the closest thing to it had never left. You know, the continent or whatever. Hmm. Don't fuck with the guild, okay? No, the guild is, like, on it. And then John Nash, a friend of Bell's, kind of started hearing about this weird stuff. And he was like, oh, no one's just gone over and asked him? I'll do it. And so he did. So John went over to Dr. Crippen's and was like, uh, okay, you know, what happened to Bell? And Crippen's like, she died in LA. I mean, just kidding. She died in uh, some little town around San Francisco. And Nash was like, okay, well, I've been to San Francisco. Like, what town? And Crippen's like, I, I, I don't remember. And Nash was like, Peter, do you mean <laughs> to say that you don't know the place your wife died? <laughs> Crippen said he did not remember, but thought it was a place called Alameo. Maybe Alameda is what he was trying to go for. Probably, yeah. Nash also asked if Crippen had received Bell's ashes. No. Did he have a death certificate? No. Crippen very nervous by this point, and uh, Nash was like, hmm, weird. Left. Two days later, on June 30th, he went to Scotland Yard to talk mm-hmm. to one of his friends that worked there. His friend was a superintendent of the murder squad, so a pretty big friend. Yeah. And so Nash told him all about this, and the superintendent put Chief Inspector Walter Dew on the case. Walter Dew had worked the Jack the Ripper killings in 1888, so he had some experience. Though he didn't solve that one. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) He did not. All right, so Dew went and interviewed the ladies at the guild. He wrote the 16-page report. He wasn't 100% sure whether anything criminal had happened. From his perspective, Belle had kind of like a bohemian type of lifestyle, so she could have just wandered away, whatever. I mean, that's fair. And there were some weird contradictions, though, that was kind of like, eh, this is a little, a little weird. And so on July 8th, Better do went to meet with Dr. Crippen. Let me ask the man. And so he did. And Crippen said, quote, I suppose I had better tell the truth. And Dew was like, yeah, I think that would be best. Yeah. <laughs> and Crippen said, the stories I've told about her death are untrue. As far as I know, she's still alive. Dew's like, the fuck? <laughs> so I went to lunch and Dew kept like interviewing him. Mm-hmm. He did like Dew ended up really liking Dr. Crippen. He found him like courteous, very nice. Okay. He wasn't really acting suspicious. Like Inspector Dew wasn't picking up like obvious cues of this guy's lying. Okay. And so Dr. Crippen was basically telling Inspector Dew that whole story about how Belle left. She wanted there to be no scandal. Mm-hmm. And so like he had made this whole thing up just so that there wouldn't be a scandal. Blah 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 blah. She's not actually dead, but whatever. She just left. She she, she just left. It was kind anymore. of embarrassing for yeah. both of us, to be honest. And then after that, 
Inspector Dew went to interview Ethel. And Ethel's like, oh yeah, Belle like left soon. Now she's dead. Now we're kind of together. A little embarrassed about how the relationship, you know, had started at all. Sure. But at the very end of that interview, Inspector Dew would tell Ethel, he told you a lie. He has just admitted to us as, that as far as he knows, his wife is still alive and that her story of her death in America was all an invention. <laughs> Ethel was uh, the fuck? What do you say? Excuse me? <laughs> what? You got some explaining to do. Okay. <laughs> Ethel was home alone, drew out that bomb on her and then was like, Oh, can I search the house? She's oh. like, I don't fucking even know anymore. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, go for it. I'm like fucking stunned. I have nothing. So he didn't have like legal permission, but he got permission to search the house. Well, I mean, she's a technically a resident, right? She's living yeah. there. And they're just kind of looking around. At this point, still, Inspector Dew didn't really think that for a murder. They were just kind of looking to see what they could find. And is there a giant blood stain somewhere? Is there, you know, I mean, obvious signs of some sort of malfeasance? Like, Not that they could see. What they did find was, quote, plenty of evidence that Belle Elmore had a passion for clothes. <laughs> and they went down to the coal cellar. Well, the basement of the house looked in there as well. Didn't really see anything unusual. It's kind of dark, but they, you know, let a little light looked around. They didn't really see anything. They're just like, okay, cool. Nothing suspicious here, whatever. And then they kind of wrapped it up. And then Inspector Dew is like, all right, I, I feel what you're laying down. Uh, he did tell Dr. Crippen that he would need to find Mrs. Crippen to clear up this whole matter. Sure. Uh, I, I need to still talk to her. And Crippen's like, oh, yeah, I'll help you with that. Could I? Should I put together an advertisement? And so him and the inspector wrote this advertisement together that they put out for placement <laughs> in American newspapers. So, detectives left on a fairly good note. Crippen was left with Ethel, who was uh, a little heartbroken and mad. The fuck you mean you lied to me, sir? And I'll say this quote, because I did not realize they had been together this long. Quote, Ethel from Ethel. Okay. He had been untruthful to me for the first time in ten years. Holy fuck. Mm -hmm. To me, of all people in the world, who was certainly the one to know the truth and all the truth. I had been faithful to him. I loved him. I'd given up all things for him. And it hurt me frightfully that he should have deceived me. I get it. But like, did you want to know the truth? You don't, but you do, but you don't. Crippen would insist that he had no idea where Belle actually was. There was this whole scandal. Once it came out, his reputation is going to be destroyed. Ethel's reputation was going to be dragged into fucking mud because she was a fucking woman. Yeah. So, Ethel forgave him. They're still in love, whatever. Dr. Crippen had a plan to okay. prevent all this embarrassment. The plan was they were going to leave. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. So Ethel started giving away a bunch of clothing to like her sister, to Mrs. Jackson, to all this stuff and kind of like packing up, getting ready to go. At the same time, Dr. Crippen bought some like boys clothes. So that might fit Ethel. Okay. Oh, a disguise. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. So a disguise, which they had a lot of fun with. She'd never worn boys' clothes before. She thought it was absurd but hilarious. And so they were just having a, a grand time. <laughs> I love dress up. I know. I love it, my friend. She even, like, lit a cigarette to, like, really hammer home that she's a dude. And so she's dressed as a boy. Crippen shaved off his mole mustache. And then they left to a train station. They ended up getting, taking a train all the way to Brussels, where they stayed for a couple days. 
I love Brussels. I've never been, but I would like to go. Oh, it's beautiful. They left at the same time, and Spedro Du was like reading over the statement that Crippen had given him and was like, maybe I should meet with him one more time. Uh, maybe. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, I'll go on Monday. Showed up on Monday and was like, they're not here anymore, friend. <laughs> They got. I haven't seen. Him. I haven't seen this guy in like a couple days now. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Let's search again. Yeah. Which they did. Still kind of didn't find anything. They found a revolver at this point. Okay. Which they hadn't found before, but that was about it. So they didn't. They still didn't find anything suspicious, but it was weird they left. So Ju made up all of these. They had a sick relative in California. <laughs> His name's Otto. <laughs> so he like made up this flyer to distribute to like port cities. Be like, we're looking for this guy. Like, maybe not for a murder, but we'd like to meet him. Mm-hmm. Same time, Ethel was having a fun time in Brussels. She'd never been. They were being tourists. She was having a great time. All right. So a few days later, Inspector Du finally found out about the purchasing of the boys' clothes, mm-hmm. which he hadn't known of. And so now he's like, oh, well, he put Ethel under disguise. That's even more suspicious. Yeah. Like, Let's search his house again. Good. This is their fourth visit to the Crippen house. And this time they really committed to searching the cellar. Okay. And then they started to pry up the bricks and there were some loose bricks. They pried those up. There was this flat surface of clay underneath it and they broke through that and then there was just a bunch of like disturbed earth underneath that. And the unmistakable smell of putrefaction. Uh-oh. It hit him right in the face as he, like, broke up that clay. And they, like, it was bad. They apparently were, like, did a couple digs, would run out to the backyard to breathe the air, would run back in, to dig a little bit more, run back out to get some fresh air. Ah, uh, yeah. That had to be terrible. It had to be so bad. Ooh. But it's bonkers that some clay and some bricks, like, held it like they didn't smell it before so that what they found was a bunch of weird shit no body but enough yeah not a not like a full body but enough tissue and viscera that suggested it was a human body was it a torso not exactly but do did write a report called Particulars of Human Remains, where he would tell us that the largest mass consisted of one long connected train of organs that included liver, stomach, lungs, and heart. Torso. <laughs> but just the organs. Oh, just a fucking organ? Mm-hmm. All the skin, <laughs> or what he, what he called practically the whole of the soft covering of the body, had been removed and laid in a separate pile. Separate? Uh-huh. Ugh. Things were missing as well, so nothing left to indicate the sex of this victim. Okay. No hands or feet. Okay. No teeth. No head. Okay. No bones. Wait, what? Not a, not a single goddamn bone. All that's left is like some organs, some tissue, and some skin. No bone? No ribs. Not a single bone. What? <laughs> Which is saying this is Whoa. a... Ex- Extensive dissection. Like, a ridiculously extensive dissection. How fucking long would that take? And he got rid of so much of the other stuff. Why would you keep those little tiny, like, organ pieces left over? I am flabbergasted. (laughs) I was like, oh, Jesus. Well, if... Crippen had 
killed Belle. He had never been able to uh, do surgery before, so maybe he was curious. It was his first time. He was just like, this is fun. I will say I got very into the fetal pig dissection in my general biology lab, and we, uh, me and my lab partner did go down to the skeleton on that one, but... Uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. I understand. Yeah, I understand but then you didn't like cripping. take parts and then like do other. I mean, like we don't even know like what weird shit he did with that stuff. Jesus, grimy. No, but I will also say we did have a uh, like a party to celebrate one of the grad students leaving, and my boss built like a fire pit in his backyard. We roasted a whole pig, and then I took the head home, and well, I uh, you tried know. to get the skull out. It was a, it didn't work out. There was a, the entire like pig head had caught on fire at one point, so the, like the skull itself was pretty flinty by that point. So it didn't okay. end up working out, but. I tried. Hannah boils heads in her house. Just I also use the wrong kind of detergent. I made it even softer. Not it's not laundry detergent, folks. I don't know if I can do it again because this is gonna be disgusting. I soaked it for a while, uh-huh. and then I was able to pull the snout out. I was sitting in my backyard. I was like that. I could feel it in my throat. Like I was like, oh, this is bad. And then the skull was fucked up anyway. So I didn't even. It's kind of for nothing, but at least. I've tried it once. I know what not to do. It's fine. Okay. Back to this mass of organs. Number one, Ooh. is it human? Yes. The organs themselves were actually in pretty good condition. So there was like, oh yeah, these are human organs. Uh, that's a liver. <laughs> Nailed it. They couldn't identify the sex of the victim. Mm-hmm. And even once they got that, they would still need to identify whether it was Belle or not. It could just be some random woman. And cause of death? Was this tissue murdered? Was it an illness? Was it an act? Like, how are you going to figure all of that out from a liver and some skin? Like, if you have bones, right, they could have, like, the, what do yeah. they call The kerf marks on the bone. Is that what they're called? I don't know. Like a, like, a pelvis is definitely different between a woman and a man. Oh, yeah. You could do age from the bones based on when the fusion is happening and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It would tell you a lot of information, a lot more than the liver. What the liver would show? Poison. Because huh. it's like a detoxifying organ. So, like, yeah, poison could concentrate there. Yeah, poison could concentrate there. So, the, the police found this stuff. They had a lot of, like, problems, though. Like, what? Oh, shit. Can you imagine, though? They're like, the fuck, man. Well, they knew it was going to be bad because they, like, broke the it, crust yeah. and they smelled it. But then they came back. It's worse that it was just, like, this upper connected. Yeah. It's, like, heart, lungs, liver, and stomach. That's what you kept. No intestines, then? They didn't say intestines. Oh. I mean, if I was going to keep an organ, it wouldn't be the intestines. Those are fucking rough. Although, I did do a science outreach program where we brought pig organs to under, like, you know, sc- basically s- schools in rural counties that aren't getting as much funding and stuff. Yeah, as much funding, and the pig intestine kind of looks like bacon. I don't want to know that. Well, I'm making BLTs this week. Uh-huh. I love BLTs. <laughs> All right. Well, you're getting weirdly gross. Sorry, not sorry. This is what I love to talk about, though. This is why I'm alone. It is interesting, but like, it's so like. Uh... It's one of those things where, like, it doesn't bother me, I guess. Well, it takes all kinds to make the world go round. I think that does bother me is smell, which is why I decided that I couldn't be a coroner. Not something you can get accustomed to. I don't know, man. Because that 
I would have been really good at it. Oh, yeah. I would have been really good at it. I have a nice science background. I could dissect the hell out of a corpse. But like a smell, I can't. Like a putrefying, I can't. Anyway. <laughs> You're like, nah. Mm-mm. So they found this stuff. They have a lot of questions they might not be able to answer. Mm-hmm. And like, they still are like, Dr. Crippen did this? Because they had talked to him. He was very gentle, very kind. He was mm-hmm. a small boy. Yeah. Compared to Belle, actually, <laughs> a small boy. Yeah. So like, it would take a lot to, you know, do all of his work and move her down to the basement and whatever. And, and he never seemed like that worried about it when they were interviewing him Mm -hmm. he's kept living in the house with ethel kind of weird but so like they were having a hard time like seeing dr crippen being like able to do it it's a big jump i'll say too it's a huge fucking jump from like oh my wife's annoying to taking all her bones out yeah it's a pretty big fucking leap man it's like a leap off of the empire state building like john Jesus. They took these remains to a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> I love him. He was a surgeon, but also one of the like first people in the field of forensic pathology. Awesome. And so like, like have it. Cool. I love it. He's like, love it. Thank you. I'll take it. Oh, I lied. <laughs> okay. Let me quote Dr. Pepper's. One large mass, which comprised the liver, stomach, gullet, lower 2.5 inches of the windpipe, two lungs, the heart, its bag intact, the diaphragm, the kidneys, the pancreas, the spleen, and all of the small intestines and greater part of the large. Oh, okay. All, all in one chain, though. Dr. Piper would realize one kidney was missing, so it wasn't perfect. And the fact that it was all in one chain was, like, pretty noteworthy. It'd be really, it'd be really hard to do that. Yeah. Let me tell you about the small intestine. Rippable, if it's in a mouse. I have 100% like, oh, crap. Whoops! But so like it was impressive. Dr. Pepper was like, "This this was actually a really good dissection." Dr. Pepper's like, "Not bad." He was like, "I don't know if I can do this." It had to be someone who either had a, a considerable an- anatomical knowledge or someone mm. who had been accustomed to the evisceration of animals. Okay. So Crippen did have an anatomical knowledge. It didn't seem like he'd ever done it before, but he like knew where the pieces were. Sure. And then he looked at the skin. And took a couple pieces that were especially interesting, including one that was uh, seven by six inches and had a weird mark on its surface. Okay. He did come to the conclusion that this was a woman, although the evidence was circumstantial based on the fact that they found like a, a hair curler underneath the tissues and also some like bleach blonde hair. So some other other evidence. Was like okay. in the thing, yeah. Okay. So this was hot commodity gossip. The you know, media went nuts. This was the North London cellar murder. Ooh. We both have a weird finding of tissues. We and like a fugitive and his lover on the run. Like it's a it has everything. Oh yeah. And so you know they sent out all this information. They had Crippen's information, Ethel's information. People started calling in all the time, being like, "Oh my mm-hmm. god, I saw them! I saw them!" <laughs> this is the best. There is a man who looked an awful lot like Doctor Crippen, who was arrested two separate times. <laughs> And as Inspector Dew said, quote, On the first occasion, he took the experience in good part. But when the same thing happened a second time, he was highly indignant and said it was getting to be a habit. <laughs> I am not him, dude. Jesus fucking Christ. 
<laughs> that poor dude is like, the fuck, man? Again? <laughs> Again? I mean, I get it the first time, fine, whatever, but like, okay. Yes, so tips are coming in. Not really real tips, but like the information's out there. Mm-hmm. People are looking for Crippen and Ethel. They're still trying to puzzle out what happened at that house because like the rest of the house was completely clean. They didn't find, you know, blood anywhere. And they were missing all these other portions that they'll never find. And it's like, why would you yeah. leave this very well dissected piece out? But anyway, it's like a lot of questions What was here. the point of keeping that? What's the point of keeping that? And maybe they just, they underestimated Crippen as being a little boy, a very small man. Well, sometimes very small people feel that they are very large people. That's true. A dead body weighs a lot more than a live body, though. And I think Belle was bigger than him. From the pictures, yeah. But what also could have happened is that he did all the stuff in the bathtub and then took the pieces out. Yeah, fair. I just had such a morbid thought. I'm like, I need a bathtub the size of where I like <laughs> to like dissect your body. And then like get the blood out. They didn't have luminol back in the time, I guess, so Yeah. Okay. So that's on the detective side. They did eventually talk to a number of Belle's friends and learned about her operation with that very distinctive scar. They had that piece of skin. That had oh, that weird yeah. mark on it. Like, okay, this this definitely could be Bella Elmore because of this weird scar. Okay. But they don't know for sure. They don't know for sure. Okay. They won't know for sure. <laughs> like, this is about as good as we're going to get is that there was a weird mark on a piece of skin that they found. And well, and the curler and the hair and yeah. yeah. Circumstantial evidence. Yes. In the meantime, Dr. Crippen and Ethel, they were in Brussels, but Dr. Crippen had been reading the paper. <laughs> I was like, we should probably go. And so as disguised as father and son, you put Ethel back in the boys' clothes, they got onto the SS Montrose and, you know, boarded up. They were going to go. Ethel was dressed as a boy. She even became friends with another adolescent boy that was on the ship who somehow believed that she was a boy at this time. They talked about football. <laughs> they felt that they were doing fine, evading suspicion. It was a little weird that they boarded the ship to go to America with just a single suitcase, but normally yeah. people are bringing steamer trunks and dressing for dinner and all that bullshit. Quick time out. Uh-huh. My mom has a steamer trunk that my great-grandmother used to travel from the United States to Japan in the 30s. Oh, wow. And it is, like, so cool. Like, those trunks are so cool. Like, they have little drawers and little... Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God. I definitely get why steamer trunks were a thing. Well, they did not have a steamer trunk because they just had a little suitcase. The captain even gave Ethel, as a boy, some, like, magazines to read, <gasps> including detective stories, like, what, oh. a bo- what a boy might like. Oh, I was thinking, like, booby magazines. Oh, no. Okay. So Captain Kendall, the SS Montrose, was a- suspicious of them. They seemed a little weird. Sure. And so during their first dinner, he actually, like, broke into their cabin and searched around. Nothing super suspicious. He was reading those detective magazines as well. Well, he was also getting the flyers because he was a 
at the ports saying, we're looking for these people. Okay. Captain Kendall kept watching. He um, found that the boys' table manners were most ladylike. Okay. And that his his quote-unquote father was very, like, solicitous towards this boy who was old enough to be able to, like, serve his own food. Sure. Captain Kendall also told some stories in the hopes of making Father Robinson laugh out loud, because apparently uh-huh. it was also circulated that um, Dr. Kirkman had a bunch of false teeth, and so he wanted to see his teeth, like, do a big laugh so you could see the teeth. Okay. It did work. He had false teeth. Okay. And he was a dentist, so he probably had, like, okay ones for the time. Okay ones for the time, but still, like, there were some false teeth. And then Captain Kendall talked with him a bit more about, like, seasickness and was like, oh, yeah, this guy knows medicine. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a bunch of this stuff. He's super sleuthy. He's super sleuthy. And so, like, the next day, he was just, like, he saw the young Mr. Robinson on the deck and was like, Mr. Robinson, like, yelled out at him. And, like, the boy just kept walking, like, did not respond, like, whatsoever. And he's like, mm-hmm. okay, Jesus fucking Christ. And then he's like, hey, Ethel. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> So, right before they left the English Channel, right before, like, his last, before he was out of range to wireless back to the land station, he was Mm -hmm. like, hey, I am, like, almost 100% sure that they are on this ship. I'm going here. I'll be here on this date. Okay. Good job, Captain. Sailed on. He never got a reply. He was out of range, whatever. So, like, the range was limited for the wireless. They could, they had to be within range to talk on land or if the ships got close enough together to talk to each other. Okay. And so, Inspector Jew got this message late in the evening, saw the telegram that was like, oh, this captain thinks he's actually pretty there. Somehow, he was like, this seems real. Even though they had already had thousands of leads. And at that particular moment, there were actually two very strong leads. And there were detectives in Spain and Switzerland looking for these two people based on two um, very strong leads. But this really seemed real to do. And so he told his supervisor that he wanted to get on a ship himself and chase after them. His gut told him. His gut told him. Mm -hmm. So his supervisor was like, if this is not a real tip, we're going to look like a fucking idiot that you crossed a <laughs> fucking ocean for no fucking reason. And they also had to pay for it. It was like nothing. But they eventually were like, yes, sure, fine. So he got his ticket. He got on the ship. He got on this faster ship. They were both going to Quebec. Basically, the ship was going to be fast enough that they would catch up to the Montrose before they got to Quebec, before anyone could disembark. The speedboat. Yes, a little faster boat. <laughs> then he spent a number of anxious days on his boat, because no idea whether he was actually following the correct boat or not, whether it was a real tip. He just kind of felt like it was. But, you know, you couldn't talk to anybody. You were on a ship, you know? And so, like, he was trying to, like, send out messages from his ship, but no one was around close enough to talk back to him. So he, like, he was just okay. like, just fucking keep going, full steam ahead. He's like, I'll be at the bar. Let me know when we arrive. Jesus. This anxiety would kill me. (laughs) This is before anti-anxiety meds. Yeah, like, you're just completely cut off from the world of a ship, usually. And this new wireless technology was, like, huge in the time that you could even talk to another ship. Like, that was bonkers. Yeah, that's crazy pants. So, the press picked up this story as well. We were reporting on it. So, people in Europe, people in America were just, like, fucking fascinated by this whole thing and they were like all like 
oh my god, this, like they were just a part of it. And part of the best part of it was is that Dr. Crippen and Ethel had no idea what was happening. But yeah. everyone around them knew. <laughs> like that's never happened before. It was like super bonkers. And I will say the Wikipedia does say that Dr. Crippen is the first suspect to be captured with the aid of wireless telegraphy. So this, okay. this was a this was a big case. This was huge. This was new technology too. And then they got this fun chase, too. Like, oh, my God, I would be glued to my newspaper. Oh. <laughs> I would have fucking loved this story in 1910. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? It's like you couldn't even make this shit up, right? Like, this is – it couldn't even be fiction. No. Like, there could never have been this before. And like I'm saying, like, the wireless can go between ships and they could – eventually pass it back to the lands the newspapers get the new news and publish that and so like you're like up to date on what's happening it's super exciting like the oldest version of twitter <laughs> yes it's bonkers i would have really enjoyed oh yeah this it moment in time fascinating but at the same time it would also be very embarrassing for inspector doof it turned out not to be them oh yeah for sure because <laughs> like this was like such hot news. Like, that was all they were talking about. Then he's like, oh, by the way, it wasn't them this whole time, fuckers. No, it was just a very strange dude and his very strange son. They were just weird. Happens. Okay. At the same time, back in London, still looking at this organs, these body parts. You got body parts, you just don't know whether it's been a murder or an accident, whatever. It's not an accident. Well, it won't be. But, like, those organs were sent to a William... Henry Wilcox, a famed forensic chemist. Ooh. And so he was an expert in poisons. Okay. And he um, testified so often that reporters gave him the nickname the King's Poisoner. Oh, I like that. I know. I think that's great. So he was the one that then like took samples from these tissues and then started doing the extraction process to see if there were any, like, poisons in any of the organs. That's super interesting. It's super interesting. Honestly, what do I call it? The Poisoner's Guide? The Poisoner's Handbook? Whatever book I'm reading right now is basically about this whole idea. Okay. It's really interesting. It's very, like, precise work, and it's very slow work. Like, this, this is going to take weeks for him to figure out what this is. Okay. And it could not be poison. Like, it might not be poison because they did find that gun. Yeah. And, like, they didn't have a head. They were missing a lot of body parts that <laughs> could have had a, a bullet in it. Yes. You know? So, but you might as well check for poison. Why not? They know his background. So, like, yes, they knew he, that like, too. made different medicines and stuff. Like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so, like, Dr. Wilcox did his experiments. He looked for the easier to detect poisons, like arsenic or antimony. Mm -hmm. Didn't really see anything there. Then they had to do more experiments, more extractions that were more difficult for a lot of these, like, plant derivative compounds that are more complicated than arsenic, per se. Okay. And so it was, was going to take him some time to actually get them extracted. Sure. About two weeks later, he was like, okay... There's some sort of alkaloid in these tissues. I don't know what it is yet. He applied the Stas extraction method. Just read the Poisoner's Handbook, guys, because they talk okay. about this method, too. It's like, it's super interesting. Okay. But it was like a specific enough like extraction method where you could like identify down to like one thirtieth of a grain was present in the stomach or something. Like he was able to like wow. actually find that out. That's impressive. So he 
knew there was an alkaloid present and he knew the concentration of that alkaloid in the different tissues. Okay. I still don't know what it was. And then I was reading this in the book and I was like, oh no. Because, as the book said, there's a very simple test that he needed to do. And for this test, he needed a cat. Aww. And I was like, oh, fucking shit. It turns out okay. Oh, okay. So, this is basically, Dr. Wilcox took this extract, mixed it into some solution, and then just dropped it into the cat's eye, and so it's a dilator. It dilates the eye. Okay, but not poison. Not poison to the eye at the amount that he gave the cat. Okay, a, he just needed to see. It's a dosage thing. Does it dilate? Okay. And since it does dilate the eye. Why couldn't he do it on, I don't know, something uglier than a cat? I don't know. Apparently, there's only four alkaloid poisons that could do that. Cocaine, atropine, and then two derivatives of henbane, which is a plant. And so then the eye dilated. He showed a light in the eye that kept its dilation. So it wasn't responsive to light at all. And he was able to basically narrow it down to uh, one of the derivatives of henbane. I was so hoping you were going to say cocaine. And then I was going to say, to quote Tommy T-Bone Pompicello, (laughs) cocaine is a hell of a drug. Well, this is actually a fun fact about cocaine. It is... Not as powerful as a dilator as some of these other poisons. So if you show in the light into uh, eye dilated with cocaine, the iris will start to contract in response to that light. Okay. So he was able to rule that out. Okay. And then we'll just go with, quote, he dismissed the cat. <laughs> he figured out what it was. The cat was released. The cat was adopted. Oh. And named Crippen. <laughs> and had lived for several years and had kittens and did die from a dog attack like many years later but like it did die in the laboratory hey and it helped figure out what the poison was i thought that was really cool yeah i still don't like that they named it crippen like his like lab workers named it crippen (laughs) which i thought was kind of funny Now I want to know what this cat looks like. What kind of cat was it? I didn't have those details, but I'm like, it is interesting. All like the little different ways they could do to figure out what kind of poison it was. Yeah. No, that's very interesting. I just, I'm still not sure as to why it had to be a cat. And if you've ever tried to pill a cat. Oh my God. That's hard enough. But like getting a fucking eye drop in a cat. I know. Get a dog. Jesus. I know. I feel like it could have been almost any mammal, but. Right? Well, I mean, we are taught as scientists not to experiment on ourselves, but that was not that strong as a suggestion in 1910. (laughs) And if you're like, okay, it could be four things that dilate the eye. That's not that bad. I actually got my eyes dilated the day that I was supposed to fly to Las Vegas. Oh, did you? (laughs) And like, they would not go down. And like, I had a very talkative optometrist. So we talked the whole time and she's like, Oh, your pupils are already really large. I'm going to do this anyway, but we'll see. And like, they just stayed open for like, I was like, can I drive home? So your long distance is fine. Short distance is not good. So I couldn't read. <laughs> I couldn't see the TV. I'm just like, I, can't, I don't know. I feel so weird right now. Oh my God. <laughs> I had my eyes dilated and they put the drops in and then the doctor was like, oh, hold on a second, I gotta go grab something. Well, I was like, ah, and I was trying to tell the doctor that 
they didn't get one eye. I didn't get a drop in one eye. But he was gone for like five minutes or so. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a terribly long time. But so he comes back and I'm like, you actually didn't. I didn't feel a drop in this eye. And then he looks and he's like, oh, yeah, no, we didn't. So he puts the drops in again. So now I've got like one giant pupil and one like medium sized pupil. <laughs> I look like something from like Alice in Wonderland. I don't know. It was weird. I really enjoy this optometrist because she did chatter the whole time. I can assume people might not like her, but I had a great time with her. And she told me that I have beautiful interior eyes. My optic nerve is just like chef's kiss. Oh, that's so sweet. Which is good because I can't like see. So the rest of my eye is still okay. That's good. Yeah. You're like, at least there's some part of it that's like really great. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, poison. We figured out what poison it was. Not cocaine. Not cocaine. And Inspector Dew's ship had caught up and passed the Montrose. And they communicated while they were doing the passing so that the Captain Kendall was like, okay, I know what's happening here. They're all on the same page. Okay. Inspector Dew got to Quebec first. And there was a lot of media there waiting already because they were imagine. all up in the story. And so like he didn't he didn't want it to get all fucked up because of the media. So Inspector Dew disguised himself as a pilot which is like a boat that brings the bigger boats into the harbor. Okay. I guess a lot of the time the pilot actually boards the boat itself and then brings it into the harbor because like the pilot knows the harbor very intimately. There's like, you know, high parts, low parts. Yeah. Any person driving a boat here is like, shut up. And I'm like, I have my boat driver's license, guys. Excellent. (laughs) It's probably expired, but... (laughs) I kind of know this shit. And so he disguised himself as that. And so the pilot boat came out to the Montrose. They got onto the boat. Victory said hi to Captain Kendall. Crippen was like there watching because Kendall's like, oh, this is a really cool part you should watch. (laughs) And so like... Duke came on board, shook on with the captain, looked at Crippen, who was going as Dr. Robinson, but mm-hmm. Dew was like, good morning, Dr. Crippen. <gasps> and he was just like, oh. <laughs> it's like face was like, oh, you fucking got it. And then he was like, good morning, Dr. Dew. <laughs> or <Aww>. Mr. Dew. <laughs> I wish his first name was Mountain, because we have Dr. Pepper, and then we oh my have God. Mountain Dew. Yep. Crippen got... Arrested. Ethel had been in the cabin reading. <laughs> and so uh, Thunder Dew went down to be like, hey, so we arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Remember me? Yeah. I'm the one who told you the truth, but it wasn't yeah. the truth because we found. <laughs> it wasn't the truth. Yeah. Stuff. Ethel swooned and Dew caught her in his arms. As she was dressed as a little boy. Okay. As a little boy reading like her detective novel. Arrested, they're in America, they need to get back to London. In the mm. meantime, they finally, she was finally able to, like, hear about the poison, so they knew it was hyacinth hydrobromide, and they also figured out that Crippen had bought that in January. Okay. And it was a weird buy. Yeah. Dr. Wilcox had extracted two-thirds of a grain from the available remains, but we were missing a lot. And just a quarter of a grain could have been fatal, so more than enough was already there. Yes. Uh, so we're good. Okay. Once arrested, Crippen was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I guess so. And so like he and Spider Do got along super well. They like talked about all of these things. Do brought him books to read. <laughs> all of his, like 
They were kind of like friends. So Crippen and Ethel got, and Inspector Dew got put on a boat to go back to London at this point. Crippen and Ethel had been separated from each other, but Dew did allow them to actually like see each other one time, like mid-ocean. That was nice of him. Uh-huh. And so, yes, that was very nice of him. Crippen's trial began on October 18th, 1910. Okay. But during the trial, a sympathetic portrait of Crippen emerged. He was kind. He was generous. Belle was loud and mad and controlling. That came out. Even the um, Ladies Guild, like, they testified. They had nothing bad to say about Crippen. Like, it was just, like, this really sad man. Yeah. That could well, sit up for himself and his... She picked out his clothes. She, he gave her all his money, like, to do, like, shit that he knew wasn't going to work out, but he was trying to, like, love her and respect her interests, and she was just constantly fucking mean to him all the goddamn time. Like, it doesn't justify, like... It doesn't justify at all. What, like, what he did, but, like, you could understand how somebody in his position would be, like, enough's enough. You would hope that they would leave and not dissect their spouse, but... Well, yeah, and and the Ethel story came up, too, and it was like, Mm -hmm. oh, like, these two people are actually super, like, soulmates or whatever. Like, Ethel and Crippen are so good together, and Belle's here. The beginning of the trial, Crippen came off very sympathetic. Yeah. It got a little worse, though, when we started talking about the remains found in the cellar. There's that. (laughs) At one point, a soup plate containing the skin with this mysterious marking was passed along in the jury. What? (laughs) I'm not kidding. No. No, thank (laughs) you. It was a lot to, like be asked to do on a fucking jury number one like if they needed them to like actually look at it like couldn't they just like walk past it like do you have to pass it around someone pockets it (laughs) on a plate (laughs) on a soup plate i know i'm just like it's worse they don't even have like a fucking like tray for it and there's like like, one dude that was like oh this wasn't lunch he's like oh great snacks (laughs) oh my god Oh, man. So that that happened, and, like, Dr. Wilcox testified about the hydrocene and whatnot, and, you know, it was all fairly jamming testimony, and so the jury deliberated for 27 minutes and came back (laughs) with a verdict of guilty. They're like, we saw the skin, or we want to go home. (laughs) Like, uh, after you showed me the skin, I was done. Yeah. Apparently, as the judge read the sentence, he donned a black scarf for the mood, I guess. Well, you know, they wear wigs and shit over there. They do, so why not? Ethel also had a trial, but she was set free. They were like, she did not know what was happening. No, she did not know what was (laughs) going on. She did not know what was happening. So, on October 25th, 1910, Crippen was transferred to Pentonville Prison, which was actually in the same neighborhood as his London house. So he was back in the Back home. One of his patients, Nadell Cook, did write to the prison officials to ask if Dr. Kirkman could write her a prescription. I'm out of my meds. Find another doctor, my friend. The prison said, 
you can write to him. Like, I'm sure his credentials have all been we're gonna removed, say. maybe, hopefully. Yeah, like, I don't think his prescription would count, but I guess you could say hi. Uh, he did file an appeal. Didn't work. He wrote a letter to Ethel where he insisted that he was innocent and that someday evidence would be discovered to prove it. But he also was like, I am going to die soon, like, with what they have. And so he was executed by John Ellis, oh. the hangman of London, November 23rd, 1910. Yeah, they did. Move so Back in the day. All right. He consulted the table of drops to figure out how long the rope should be. Crippen's neck was described as quite normal. He was 142 pounds, quite proportional, only 5'2", so the drop needed to be 7'9". Well, I'm 5'2", so my drop would need to be 7'9". Very interesting. Crippen's last request was to uh, have some of Ethel's letters and her photograph placed in his coffin, and that was agreed to. And then at 9 a.m., the drop happened. An instant later, his neck broke. It was a very okay, clean so death no for struggle, him. struggle, no suffocation. No slow suffocation. His head stayed attached. It all worked out very well. So Ellis actually calculated this out perfectly. Ellis also was the hangman. He also was a barber. He also would go to county fairs to demonstrate the art <laughs> of execution. And he also played the role of a hangman in a play at one point. On September 20th 1932 he killed himself by slashing his own throat so he might not have been having as much fun as it sounded like yeah maybe not so i mean not everyone's convinced that crippen killed bell there's a lot of questions here he definitely could not have carried her body down to the cellar by himself why did he keep anything why was there a curler and like it was there's questions here he seemed very nice someone was like oh he accidentally killed bell he did dose her with the hyocene just to make her go to sleep sure. so we could have a quiet night oh he and then too she died. much okay but he probably gave her all five grains because they never found anything else and that he knew that was enough he's not dumb no like he knew this i don't think ethel had anything to do with this <laughs> We never found any of the missing parts of Belle's body. Never 100% concluded that it was Belle's body. It was just that piece of skin with mm-hmm. part of a scar, which is still kind of a weak ID for a body. So, all of that happened on November 23rd, 1910. Ethel, calling herself Miss Allen, boarded a ship, the Majestic of the White Star Line. Uh, she was 27 years old, but still was very youthful looking. And um, so, as Miss Allen, she boarded the ship, traveled to Toronto, took up the name Ethel Nelson, got a new job as a typist. She did return back to London. Eventually, Canada didn't feel like home. She met a man named Stanley Smith. They married. They raised two children in a middle-class community. They became grandparents, but he never learned about her past. Some bags just need to stay packed. We don't need to pack all the baggage. Keep yeah. that steamer trunk, like, yeah, at the bottom of the ocean. Easy pants. So she ended up having a decent life, yeah. 
she deserves it. Like, she gave almost 10 years of her fucking life to this guy that wasn't married. Okay, that was a dom of her. She was a baby, though. She yeah. was 17 when she met him, which was old back in the day. But also, but- like, you know, she felt very betrayed initially, right? Because he, just the fact that he lied to her, right? Like, so. Yes, but I feel like the the lie was bad, but the amount of, there's that, like, uh, yeah. time song fallacy, which is what I always talk about with grad school. Like. <laughs> God, I put the time in. I have yeah. to fucking finish, don't I? Yeah. Otherwise, it's wasted time. Although, it's not supposed to be thought of as wasted time. Mm-hmm. That's the fallacy of it all. But, like, she's been with him for, like, so long. She'd only seen him as this very gentle man. I still find it kind of hard to imagine this murder. Yeah, and they don't technically have any proof that he was the one who did it, right? I mean, they have they circumstantial don't. evidence, and like, but like, did he he didn't confess, though, right? He didn't confess, and honestly, almost more me, I like the idea of it being an accident, he gave her too much, but at the same time, I feel like he knew about all these different kinds of poisons from his education, and so the fact that he even asked for so much to begin with Yeah, like suspicious. that's that's more about intention, I think. That's a lot. Especially if you knew one grain would do the job and you ordered five. You're well, like, yeah. I need five tries. And he also, like, Ethel came and talked to him that month and he was like, yeah, no, no, we'll be married. So, like, I don't think it, I don't, really don't think it was an accident, but man, he really, really yeah. committed to True. it once he decided to do it, I guess. But this is a very bad example of a Virgo in love. There are definitely some things here that I don't see as Virgo, especially like how fast mm-hmm. he moved in his relationships with both his first wife and with Cora. Like those were very fast yeah. to marriage, like months and they were married. That's a lot for a uh, Virgo. A Virgo normally is more slow and steady, mm-hmm. doesn't fall in love super easily, wants to, you know, kind of watch and see and yeah. see how things go. But a Virgo is also super loyal. I think that probably says more than anything about him is because he put up, at least from what it sounds like, he put up with a lot of like verbal abuse in that relationship. And he still was like... I think he probably did. I don't know, like... Doesn't mean Belle's a bad yeah. person. It just means that they were terribly mismatched. Belle had to have some sort of rising that made her want to be a performer. Leo or Libra. Crippen seems a lot more yeah Virgo yeah for than sure. Cora does to me. I mean, there's definitely something else in the charts, but like they were just a terrible match, and I feel like Belle could have found yeah maybe just Bruce Miller like, was go the be man. Happy. Like, you know, like like go do you. But it was also that time where they like mm-hmm. felt like they couldn't leave. It was a scandal and whatnot. And then I think I was saying this earlier, like uh, a lot of the way that a Virgo shows love is the acts of service, which he was definitely yeah. did for both Belle and Ethel. And I also do think that because Virgos are so loyal and they want to make their partner happy through acts of service or whatnot, that they can lose themselves in a relationship. Sure kind of easily like if they let themselves get into a relationship then they can lose themselves easily under circumstances like this one like we can say now he should not have given that much to Belle they just were not good together it was what it was though like it was what it was everyone can lose sight mm -hmm. of themselves as an individual and just see themselves as a couple yeah 
No, I get it. I, I see that aspect. There's just, I don't know, like you said, there's other factors in their charts that are impacting parts of their personalities. But like, no, I can definitely see some of the Virgo traits in him. I, yeah. I really just have a hard time with Virgo with her, but. I do too. That's why she's got to have a lot more like fire in her. All of the sites that I have to do birth charts are, it's like 1900 plus. So, and she was. I know, they don't go back far. Yeah, off, she so was in like historical once it fucks up the sheer extra vertedness of her and the also not being super good at what she wants to do is not a very Virgo trait. They're like secret perfectionists too. So it's like you wouldn't necessarily know how successful a Virgo was. But a Virgo also wouldn't spend their time doing something they're bad at. They would figure out what they're good at and they would fucking do it. They don't flaunt their successes either. They don't. Yeah, they're they're like, they are more of the introvert side. They wouldn't be like, look what I did, right? Yeah. Technically, I think it's a feminine energy, but I like to say introvert versus extrovert when I'm talking yeah, about this. Yeah, yeah. More of like a the breathe in versus breathe out personality. Um, And so like, they're very like good at what they do. Yeah. But a Virgo's not super braggy about it. They just kind of do and they just kind of expect everybody's yeah. doing the same thing that they're doing, doing their best. And like, that's not true at all. <laughs> so like that, that will fuck <laughs> up a Virgo if you have that expectation that everyone's working as hard as you are and as like with the good intentions like they're not they're fucking not my friend so uh i like them yeah they're very smart and logical like the amount that this virgo lost himself in relationships was a bit much for me for a virgo so i'm like he has some water in him maybe like a Mm. cancer or pisces moon or something that really makes him I feel like pure Virgo, you can be fine without having the relationship and you'd be more objective about it and be like, this is bad. Yeah. But the other thing too is a Virgo can kind of get lost in um, more of like what they want and kind of miss what's actually happening. Wait a minute. No, I I want this to be like, I I think I should be able to do it because I'm a Virgo and I'm logical. I can do all this other stuff. Why can't I do this? It It should just work like this. Yeah. Well, and that's like, I mean, that's a good example where he was just like, you know, trying to be like, oh, I'm so supportive of you. Like, I, you know, I want this to work. So I want you to feel supported. I want you to feel like you can be you. And I'm not hindering that in any sort of fashion. So I mean, I get that. I will say he just had wrong, some wrong cuck chick, energy. Because it was the wrong chick. I don't think all Virgos have cuck energy. I'm just saying like <laughs> this, this dude did. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are wrong for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just because people enchant you in some aspect doesn't mean you want to build a life with them. <laughs> Especially like they, like he married Cora so soon. Her name wasn't even Cora, like, mm-hmm. but she, he learned that after he, they were married. Like, it was a whole thing. That was the most unbroken part of him, was getting married before he yeah. had done a thorough background check. <laughs> vetting yeah a vetting Betting. process like <laughs> nowadays a virgo will know what your fucking real name is so don't even try yeah well the technology these days is a lot better for that that helps too but <laughs> i do have um a couple astrological tidbits okay real quick it's not looking great i'm just gonna throw that out there but let's just you know I'm it's been a fucking news. rough recently it has been <sighs> so i've been feeling it too like yesterday was a 
bad day for me. I gotta go back and figure out what yesterday was, but. Yeah, I don't remember, but shit, it's, the last few weeks have been pretty tough, but again, Mercury is, I don't know if Mercury is already in retrograde or going retrograde. It has to but be like, by now, I just, think. It, it has to be, I don't know, but. So this episode is going to air on September 12th, and on Friday, September 16th, we are going to get a square, and we know squares aren't great. So Venus in Virgo is going to be square with Mars in Gemini, and so this is going to be a day that's riddled with anxiety. It's that Virgo energy. (laughs) Yeah, Ah, crazy Gemini energy. Yes. So you're really going to feel like people are judging you or criticizing you. It may not be the case, but that's what it's going to feel like. Yeah. So be aware of that. And then to make matters worse. Why not? The sun in Virgo is going to be opposition with Neptune in Pisces. And so this is just going to make us be very lethargic. We are not going to have any energy. We're just going to be exhausted. We're going to be the opposite of Sir Wobbles right now, who is meowing (laughs) on the top of his lungs. I think he just had a really good shit. Oh, good job, buddy. Does he he also, like, run around? Oh, my God. It's uh, so light. It's like the the poop 500 sprint. Which I, like, I enjoy nice poop, but I never feel like running afterwards. No, me neither, ever. (laughs) Yeah, so again, like, this is not a great, it's not a great astrological week. We've just got some stuff going on. I didn't want to leave you completely disappointed after Friday, though. We will get just a slight reprieve from that kind of just, ugh energy. On Sunday, September 18th, the sun in Virgo is going to be trying with Pluto and Capricorn. Hey, Earth friends. This is very like get shit done energy, right? Both Virgo and Capricorn or get shit done types of people. And this aspect is also going to elevate our confidence to achieve our goals. However, <laughs> can't all be good. Mercury and Libra will be opposition with Jupiter and Aries. And this aspect is very tricky when it comes to following through with promises. So Libra energy. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So ultimately, like you're going to have the confidence and you're going to be wanting to achieve some goals. So my caution is like, don't make those goals about somebody else or doing something for somebody else. And that sounds kind of shitty, but it's not really like focus on some of your personal goals and some tasks that you may need to check off your to do list. It's Sunday. It's a good time to meal prep. Like. Don't worry about it. Exactly. Like, don't necessarily be like, oh, yeah, I promised so-and-so that I would do that or whatever. Like, mm, you're not going to want to. So (laughs) So just don't. Don't. And don't set yourself up for failure in that fashion. So just keep that in mind. It's really going to be a better day to just focus on your individual needs. So read a book binge that show you've been wanting to binge like clean house or whatever you need to do like in your own right so that's going to be my suggestion I mean it's not a totally terrible day Mm. right but there's still going to be a little bit of yeah (laughs) not not great energy and you're still going to be exhausted from Friday so keep that in mind and then we are not expecting any feedback especially after a shitty weekend like that (laughs) 
But don't worry, we get it. But do keep in mind that if you want a TCT sticker, and they are really nice stickers, by the way. They are great stickers. You do have to reach out and like let us know. I would ask, I'm asking right now, a Libra Mm -hmm. to reach out and convince, like, what's good about Libra? (laughs) I just have a terrible example in my life that has ruined my perspective and... I'm I'm biased, okay? So like Yeah. But let me know, guys. There's I know there's good Libras. I just having a hard time with it. Or just tell me how shitty a Capricorn is. Cause I get it. <laughs> well, I mean we all have our pluses and minuses though, but like I'm always like take a person as their individual and let people enchant you. Let them, you know, show you what they're made of and like I'm one of those just fucking weird people. I'm weird. I talk a lot. I want to just, I want to know everything about people, but then I don't want to call you or really talk to you. (laughs) Understandably, actually. I get that. I want to go out like a few times a year and have drinks or have like a fun weekend, but then I want to talk to you for the rest of the That's fine. I get that. Capricorn energy. (laughs) I'm very introverted in myself, but I'm not your typical Gemini either. But yeah, so let us know if you are a Libra and would like to have a, I think it would be a very fun and interesting conversation. So I'll throw this out here. If you are a Libra and you believe that you are fabulous, then please let us know and we might invite you on to talk about Libra-ness. Because I'm in my Capricorn closed-mindedness right now. But the cool thing about our resident Capricorn is that she may be, say she's closed-minded, but she's actually fairly (laughs) open-minded and really good at at having conversations with, clearly, because we've been doing this for 74 episodes now. And she's also, she can admit when she's wrong, right? You you said that I in can. last week's episode. So yeah. yeah. So Libras, reach out to us. Or if you would just like to tell us your theory about where you believe the bones went. Because it's yep. so creepy. Every fucking bone. Right? Or if you just want to share with us like some of the self-care that you did on this really super exhausting, like stupid fucking weekend. That would be cool <sighs> we would love to hear from you we are on twitter at true trying we are on instagram at true crime trying we are on facebook at tct podcast you can email us directly true crime trying at gmail.com and then when you get a chance check out our website www.truecrimetrying.com bye Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.